Good morning, everyone. I just want to echo what Ronnie uh, just prayed. And you guys need to be praying for the search committee, praying for the church. You know, pastors come and pastors go. Um, for those of you that may not be aware of what's going on, I'm going to be retiring and joining the ranks of the old folks here in, uh, sometime after the first of the year. And I will be here till we get another pastor, so there won't be any uh, gap in that. So, But do be praying. Be praying for us and this church and the search committee for God's wisdom as we make this decision. I just got back from a trip to North Carolina. We, Deb and I were gone for a couple of weeks. We had to go home and see our mothers. Both are widows. Um, both are up in age. My mother is 86 and Deborah's is 93. My mother is struggling with some heart problems right now. And Deborah's mother is unstable uh, when she walks. And she's fallen a few times and broken some bones. And so we're <clears throat> trying to take care of them from a distance and help them and make, uh, make uh, you know, uh, resources and so forth available for them. So that's always hard. But I've told you before, whenever you go back home, you haven't been there in a while, and you go back and you realize how things have changed. And you see people, you see them growing older, and you don't think of yourself as growing older, even though you look in the mirror every day. You don't really think of yourself as getting older. But when you see other people... You realize that they are going, they're getting older and up in age. When I went home, not only did I see that in my, our parents, but I also saw that in other family members and friends. My brother, for example, he's four years younger than me, is struggling with high blood pressure and diabetes, and he's had a two, two minor strokes, which um, just left him a little bit disabled, not much. But, uh, you know, you look at that and you, and you begin to think, my goodness, you know, he's really struggling. Uh, while we were home, a friend of mine that uh, I had gone to high school with and grew up there within the neighborhood actually is the brother to my my brother's wife. So this all intertwined here. But about a year or so ago, I think, he lost his daughter in a car wreck. I think I shared that with you. One was terribly, you know, beat up in this, and she's recovered, but um, the other passed away. They were twins. And this friend of mine has never really gotten over that. He's just really grieving and has been grieving. This was his granddaughter and um, struggling with that. And while we were there, they put him in the hospital. Um, he thought he had COVID. Um, he's having trouble breathing, and it just got worse and worse. But it wasn't COVID. But he has some sort other sort of bacterial infection. They put him on a breather of a breathing machine and put him in a coma so that he would quit struggling, but he's, he's suffering. Now, the point of this is that as you look around, and I notice this at home, and we, we know that it's true here as well because some of you are struggling equally as, as much. Um, some of you have lost loved ones. You've lost your spouse. Some of you are in poor health. You've gone through the ringer. I mean, this whole mess with COVID and, and, and the economy and jobs and everything, maybe you are struggling through this, and we always do. But then the question always arises, and the question becomes, <clears throat> why do these bad things happen to God's people? Now, we think about that, and we think, well, we understand why it might be happening to an unbeliever. They don't know the Lord, and, you know, it's as if you know, God has no obligation in protecting them and taking care of them. So we kind of understand that in our thinking. But when it comes to the believers, 
we, we always ask this question, why is it that we as God's people um, are struggling in so many ways? And we ask this question as we are continuing now in this series on grace. Just let me kind of set the stage. I'm still in this. But the question then becomes this. How does suffering in the Christian's life, how does that harmonize with this teaching on grace? You know, we learn, we, we learn through this series and, and have talked about this, how that God has saved us and redeemed us and we're justified and sanctified and forgiven and all these things that God has done for us uh, in this relationship and, and through his grace. And then we look at our lives and the lives of our loved ones and we see them struggling and we see a whole lot of suffering and a whole lot of things going on. And today what I want to do is talk to you on the subject of grace and suffering and how they work together. Grace and suffering go hand in hand. Um, one does not nullify the other. I think sometimes we have in our minds that as believers, if God is a God of grace and we believe that he is and does all these things and blesses us and protects us and gives us these things, then we struggle with understanding suffering. And it seems as though that if you are suffering and going through really extremely hard times in life, no matter what that may be, then you really struggle with understanding and appreciating grace because in your mind you can't pull this together. You can't understand how God of grace could let me go through that. And the age-old questions we always ask, is God doing this? Is Satan doing this? Is it just happening? And the answer to that is it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Because the, the question we ought to be asking is how and what. How am I going to respond to it? And what am I going to do, you know, as I go through this? And that's really where the Bible comes into play. Because God doesn't really tell us the answer as to why. Um, today I'm going to give you an overriding answer to that question that everything else sort of falls under. But um, it's not going to be satisfying to you if you're going through this. It's not going to completely answer the question of why we go through times like this. But in the Bible, you find that grace and suffering go hand in hand. If you remember uh, this, this passage in 2 Corinthians, I think, where Paul is struggling and he talks about the thorn in the flesh. And he makes the statement in the middle of his problem, in the middle of his suffering, he says, your grace is sufficient for me. And therefore, I will glory in my infirmities and my problems. I, I won't complain. I understand, you know. And he understood that grace and suffering can be present at the same time. And as we go through this today, that's really what I want to try to help you to understand, is that if you are really struggling in life and you're questioning God's love for you, you're questioning the grace of God, you're questioning your relationship, please don't. Because these two work together in the, the plan of God. It all comes together. What is God doing in my life? See, that's the thing. Why is this happening to me? I, I don't understand. And let me give you the overriding answer to that question. And I can't give you the particulars of whether God is chastening you. I, I don't know. Whether God is just disciplining you in some way. No, I, I don't know. I don't believe in accidents. But I'll give you this overriding answer as to why things like this happen in the lives of believers. I'm going to give you one word, and then we're going to talk about it. The one word is transformation. Transformation. 
that God allows things like this in the lives of his loved ones, the people that he loves, the people that he has saved, the people that he died on the cross for. He allows these things to happen regardless of the cause. And God uses them to transform you and me into what he wants us to be. Now, that seems rather simplistic. But when you look at the scriptures, you begin to understand just how how important this really is that we understand this. Now, I'm going to take you to a verse. And the verses, the passages that I've chosen for this today are passages that we've looked at. And I told you when we began this series on grace that each one of these messages sort of builds on the other and that they're going to, they're going to be in a lot of overlap. But as we keep going back into this and looking at it again from a different perspective, I want you to understand this question of suffering and the grace of God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Here's the first passage that I want you to see. It's one we've looked at. Paul said this. He said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, guys, you have got to understand this verse and come to grips with this. You've got to understand this. Here's what it's saying. He's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I want you to be confident and understand this, that the same God that began a good work in you, that is, saved you, the same God that saved you from that point in your life when God saved your soul, you were set on a course of transformation. He has begun a good work in you. What is the good work? What's the end goal here? The end goal is to transform you. We're told in Scripture to become more and more like His Son. That will not happen until down here where it says it will come to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. When you see Him face to face, that's when it will come to completion. But until then, God is preparing you and me for that moment. And we are on a constant uphill climb, at least in the mind of God. This is where you're going. You're going from here to there. It's an uphill climb of transforming yourself or being transformed into something that I want you to be. Now, please understand this because this is what the verse is saying. He will carry it on to completion. But you say, well, wait a minute. I don't want it to be. I don't want to change. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you want. You understand that the verse is saying to you and me that God has put you on the path to transform you. You can't get off. You say, well, what if I rebel? God deals with that. What if I just am lazy? God deals with that. You can't get off of this train because it is a train you stepped onto when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are going to be transformed one way or the other. Come voluntarily or kicking and screaming. But God says, I will do it. And you are a work in progress. I've begun a good work, and I'm going to go about the work of changing you. I'm going to change your sinful attitudes, your sinful actions. We're going to transform you in that way. I am going to change your self-centeredness. I'm going to change your rebellious spirit. I am going to change your heart to the point where you are looking forward to going to heaven. Now think about this, okay? If I were to ask you, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of you are legitimately, really looking forward to going to heaven? You see, it's one of those things a lot of us have on the back burner. 
I've got life going on here with all the problems of money and kids and, and all the work and all this. And on the back burner, occasionally I think about going to heaven. But it's not really something I dwell on every day, and it's not something I'm really looking forward to, you know, in the future, but not right now. And God says, I'm going to work in your life to get you to the point where you want to go. And that's important. Because all through the Scripture, we are told that we're not supposed to be looking at this life. We're not supposed to be holding on to this life. We're not supposed to be valuing everything in this life the way that we do. He said, you need to keep your eyes out there, and it changes the way you live here. And too many of us aren't looking there, see? We just are concerned about the issues and the problems here. And so God is working, and God never stops because God is going to change you and your way of thinking and your actions, your decisions, everything. It's a total transformation. That's what the Christian life is. It's a process of change. And anybody that tells you that when you come to Christ, everything has been changed in your life already, they're fooling you. Because this is what the New Testament is all about. Talking to Christians, encouraging Christians about transformation and change in their lives. God's doing it. But it's our rebellious spirit that keeps us from getting on board with that, so to speak. And when we don't, when we don't understand it, when we don't accept it, when we don't surrender to it, Life is miserable. It really is. Our desire as human beings is to control everything. We really do. We want to be the masters of our own fate. We want to be uh, in charge of our lives. We don't like being told what to do. And even when it comes to God, the decisions and the plan that God has for us, we don't like and we want to vote on it. God says you don't get a vote because I'm sovereign, I'm in charge, and I'm working in your life. And what I demand of you is submission, surrender, brokenness. I want you to come to the end of yourself and I want you to change. And I'm going to do that in you. I will. The question then becomes, what makes a person change? What is going to make you and me submit to him? There are three things, three reasons, I guess you could say, why people change. And it could be one of these three or it could be all three because I believe that God uses all of them. But let me give you the three reasons why people change. They change first of all because somebody has encouraged or affirmed them. This is what we do with children. If you're a school teacher, you know this technique in school. If you're a parent, you should know that the more you encourage your children in the good things that they do and affirm them in those things, then you don't really have to deal with a whole lot of the negative if you'll just be positive about the good things. No, I mean, nobody's going to stop doing the good things when somebody's there encouraging them and saying, that is a great job. And the same thing is true with us as believers because this is why I believe that God has told the church that you are supposed to be encouraging one another because this is God's process of helping you change. When you see somebody doing something positive for the Lord, you need to encourage them. You need to affirm them. You need to hold them up. You need to say thank you. And you need to, to be able to, to try to get them to the point where, you know what, they come to the conclusion that this is good. It feels good, and I want more of it. And when we do, we begin to make changes in our lives. There's a second reason why people change. Now listen, 
it's because they learn enough to be convinced. In other words, they learn enough to be convinced that they need to change. This is where the Bible study comes in. Preaching, teaching, this is all comes in under this one. Because we learn, hey, wait a minute, this is what the Bible says about how I should be living. This is what the Bible says about what I'm supposed to be doing. And when I learn the Scriptures, the Bible says it's the Word of God that grows your faith. You make the changes, see. You decide, this is the right thing. God said so, so I'm making a change in my life. So a lot of people don't know the Word of God, therefore they don't change. But the third reason, and this is the one we're going to be kind of camping on today, the third reason that people change is that they hurt enough to be willing to change. That God uses hurt and pain in our lives to bring us to the point of surrender. God brings us to our knees so that we'll stop looking at ourselves and depending on ourselves and begin to look at him and totally surrender our lives to him. Now, you see, this is an important concept because we as Christians throw the word surrender around. I think that surrender is a process. It's not a one-time thing. In other words, a person comes to Christ by faith, they are surrendering when they come to Christ. They are acknowledging their need for a Savior and putting their faith in Jesus. But there are moments throughout their lives where God brings them to the point where they have got to yield to Him. They surrender. In everyday life, you have to make decisions that I'm going to do it God's way, live it God's way, and believe that God wants me to do this, or I'm going to do it my way. I believe that God uses all three of these techniques in our lives. There are times when we are encouraged. There are things that we learn and we make the changes on our own. And God, in the lives of every one of us, uses pain and suffering to bring us to the point of brokenness so that we will yield to him. Because only then are we able to do it. Because God desires that transformation. And guys, let me tell you something. Change is a scary thing. I've noticed this in churches, every church I've been in, there are people that will sit back and resist and resist and resist any kind of change in their lives. Because that is a frightening thing. You're upsetting my apple cart. I don't like the way it feels. I don't even want to think about it. What will people say? What will people do? And the excuses begin and just continue. And we resist it. But God continues to work to bring us to the end of our own self-assurance. He breaks us. That is a harsh thing to say. But you think about this, and I'm going to show you the scripture to back it up. That the God that loves you, loves you so much that he will break you to bring you to the point of surrender so that his power can be manifested in you. He has to get you out of the way. Sounds harsh, but it's reality, and it's biblical. Listen to this. God, in his grace, uses circumstances in your life that are more than you can bear in order to bring you to that point of surrender. You say, now wait a minute. Isn't there some passage in Scripture that talks about that God will not allow you to be tested more than you can bear? I'm glad you brought that up. Let's look at it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Now, this is a verse, again, we've used before. It's familiar. You're going to know it right off the bat. But as we work our way through it, we're going to be looking at it from a different angle. 
and, and trying to understand it, okay? Whenever you see the word temptation or tested in the New Testament Greek language, it's basically the same word. It's used to talk about, well, being tempted, but it's also being used to be, uh, or it is used in a context of being tested or something, a trial in your life, a hardship in your life. Let's read this passage with that in mind and look at what I believe that it's talking about. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I'm just going to use the word hardship instead of temptation because that's what he's saying with the word. It's either a testing or a hardship. No hardship has overtaken you except what is common to man. Now, I'll stop. I'm just going to take it a sentence at a time here, okay? Just so pay attention. Nothing in your life is unique to you. Everything you face, whether it be the death of a loved one, the death of a family member, a death of a friend, sickness, COVID, divorce, uh, child abuse, whatever, nothing in your life that has ever happened to you is unique only to you. It has happened to somebody else is what he said. Now, that's important because here's what we Christians do. We'll say, wait a minute. I'm excused from obedience. I'm excused from being transformed. I'm excused from this whole process because you don't know what happened to me. And God says it doesn't matter what happened to you. You're not excused. And see, this is where we we really rebel against this because we want our situation and our past to be so unique and so different and so horrible that God will say, poor you, you're excused. And we're not. And gosh, you've got to come to grips with that because you will use your problems as an excuse. I can't serve the Lord because. I can't do this because. I can't obey because. And God is saying to you, Nothing has happened to you except what is common to everybody else. Now watch. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested or bring a hardship into your life that is beyond what you can bear. Stop right there. If that sentence, uh, the verse ended right there with that sentence, I would agree with you. That God would never put you in a situation that is beyond your ability to, to, to handle. But the verse doesn't stop there. So let's look and see what it says. He will not let you be tested or tempted or put into a hardship beyond what you can bear. But when you are in that hardship or tested, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. And don't don't miss the last couple words. God is changing, but not the situation. He's changing you. Because God says, I'm going to do something in your life in the middle of this hardship that's going to put you in a place where you can endure it. You see, we have this mindset that God would never do this to me. What I'm going through, God would never do. Because it's more than I can bear. God wouldn't allow it because I can't handle it. And Scripture tells you that yes, He would. He would put you in a situation that you can't bear that you can't handle. Because as long as you can handle it, you won't need Him. But the moment comes at some point when you realize, I'm going to crumble under this. The weight of this burden, the weight of this suffering is going to kill me. And it's then 
that you surrender. It's then that you turn to Him. And it's then that you learn what faith is. And it's then that transformation takes place. It says that God will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, if the way out was to change the circumstances, I wouldn't have to endure it. But I'm given an opportunity to go through this to endure it. So that means that God's got to change me. If he's not changing the situation, then I'm changing. And there's the key, you see. Because God will put you in situations that are beyond your ability with the anticipation that you'll realize that and turn to him. And guys, you know what that is? That's grace. That's what grace is. Now, the same person that wrote that, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, wrote the next passage that I want to show you. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes this. Now watch. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Just taking it a verse at a time here, okay? Paul said, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Oh my gosh, what is he saying? He said, I couldn't handle it. The Apostle Paul said, I couldn't handle it. Yep. He said, we faced such rebellion and such attacks in Asia that it was more than we could possibly bear. I had no answer for it. I didn't know what to do. He said, I felt like giving up. He says, we despaired even of life. He said, we were convinced we were going to die. Sometimes we even wished that we would so that it would be over because what we were going through was more than what we could bear. Next, uh, the next verse, he says, Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But, now watch, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Oh, now watch, guys, okay? He says, here we were in Asia, and we were being attacked and persecuted from every side and beaten and whatever, thrown in jail, all the things that Paul talks about that he's gone through in his life and his ministry. He says, and there we were in the middle of it. We thought we were going to die, and at times we were praying we would die. That's how bad it was. And he said, we realized we couldn't do it. So at some point in that, Paul's saying, he's turning to God and saying, okay, Lord, it's yours. And if we die, our faith is in you who raises the dead. Paul's saying, look, as bad as it is and as bad as it may get after this, he said, Lord, if I die, I die believing that you will raise me back up. That's how strong my faith is. You want to know how Paul got through that? That's it. He said, and what has happened to us happened to bring us to that point. Paul was a different man after he went through that than he was beforehand. You, my friend, will be a different person after you go through the events you're going through than you are now. If you yield. If you yield. Too many times we as Christians hold our fist up to heaven and say, and we curse God. 
How could you let me go through this? Why don't you stop this? I have served you. I have done this. I've done that. I don't deserve this. You know, it's the same thing Job used. I don't deserve this. And it's not a question of deserving. It's a question of us coming to understand that God uses situations that are painful in order to bring about a result. He's taking us from here to here on the train of transformation and we can't get off. So we've got to come to the point where we accept it. You see, this is the way of escape. This is the way to endure it, as Paul says. To stop kicking against the pricks. To stop rebelling against God. Stop accusing God of being unfair. And see that in the middle of this, God is in His grace. is changing you. He's transforming you. And when you do, then you can relax. It doesn't take away the pain, but it sure changes your perspective. And like he said in earlier passage, then you can endure it. And that's really the difference, you see. The circumstances may never change, but you have to. You have to. Your faith grows. And I've told you before through this series, how is your faith ever going to grow if you're not ever put out there on a limb with the threat of failure, with the threat of pain and suffering, the threat of death? How are you going to learn to trust him if you're not ever put into an impossible situation? That's where you learn faith. You don't learn it here in church. You see examples of it, but you're going to learn it. You're going to be transformed when you're in the middle of it. And you and I have got to come to grips with a sovereign God doing this out of love and out of compassion to see you and me grow, to see us change. Life is full of problems, and many of them are more than we can take. But God in his grace gives us the secret of endurance, and that is to trust him. And that's what you've got to come to and believe and believe, see, this is the key, that your relationship never changed. Because in the middle of the mess you're going through, you're going to question that relationship. You're going to question your identity. Don't do that. In faith you believe that this is who I am, and I am committed and broken and surrendered to him. And if he takes my life, then so be it. If I suffer through pain and agony, then so be it. I will learn to trust him. That's easy to talk and easy to say, but it's hard. It's hard for all of us. It really is. There's one other example. And because this, this, this lesson, this idea of, of grace and suffering are taught throughout the Bible. Let me show you one other situation. It's a verse I've used numerous times with you, and it'll be familiar, but look at this, okay? It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. This is Now, before we look at it, let me tell you the setting here. I've told you before. Moses brings the Israelites out of Egypt. They rebel against God, and God says, 40 years of wandering and suffering for you. And so they do for 40 years. They wander and suffer until finally, at the end, Moses is going to die, and Joshua is going to take over and take them into the land. Moses, in some of the last of his days here, he is 
giving them these instructions, talking to them. So here's what he says in, uh, eight, in chapter 8, verse 3. Talking about God, says God, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. Okay, God caused them to be hungry. God brought them out in the desert and set them out there in the desert with no food. They begin to rebel and curse God and say, who are you to bring us out here? We would have been better off back there. We don't trust you. We, you're going to let us die. And then God says in his grace, he fed them with manna. A miraculous feat to provide for these people. They didn't deserve it, but God gave it to them because he was showing them grace in the middle of a difficult situation. He says, and we did it goes on to say, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I did this to teach you something. You think that the most important thing in life is comfort. You think that if you're back in Egypt in, in bondage, and, but, you're less, but at least your belly is full, then you're going to be content. And I'm telling you that there's more to life than just comfort. Guys, this is a message we've got to hear, okay? God says the most important thing for you is to learn this. That all you need is what I decree from you, for you. What comes out of my mouth for you. If my will for you is to suffer and to hurt, then that's all you need. I'll take you through that. If my decree and my will for you is that you are blessed, then you'll be blessed and I'll take you through that too. That's the, the idea here. You and I have to come to the point of brokenness. God did it with Israel. For 40 years they wandered in the, in the desert until he taught them what surrender was. Now, let me just follow the story through with you, okay? 40 years are over. Joshua brings them up to the border. The, 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 we're told that the River Jordan was overflowing at that time of year. It is raging and God says to the Israelites, now tell the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant and go on down into the river. They never questioned it. Before, 40 years earlier, they weren't ready to sit and eat manna. Now they're ready to go through the raging river. Why? They learned to be submissive. And the water parted and God took them through a miraculous feat because they learned to surrender. He brings them up to the city of Jericho. Golly, this massive city. And he marches them around the city for seven days, seven times. Why? To scare the people of Jericho? No, they're sitting up on top laughing at them. He marched them around there to show Israel, we can't do it. <laughs> it's impossible. And when they came to that conclusion, God said, now blow the horns and I'll knock the walls down. A great victory. Grace in the middle of a mess, in the middle of a horrible time. You and I have got to learn to surrender. You and I have got to learn what it means to be broken. To be broken of our own will, we give up, we say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And to realize that even though things are bad, this Sovereign God that we love and that we serve, this God of grace, is still working in our lives. 
and grace is being poured out on you, you may not even recognize it, but it is. I want to leave you with this challenge, and you can talk about this if you're in a small group. You'll be in tonight. You can talk about this, but for all of us, what I would like to ask you to do is this, and you don't have to do it now, but over the next few days, I want you to think back to the greatest trial in your life, the greatest hardship you have ever had to face. Maybe you're going through that now, and you can write off the bat, say, hey, yeah, I can write this down. And you may have to think about it, but I just want you to write it down. I want you to think back, okay? I want you to think, if assuming it's in the past, think back to what you were thinking, what you were feeling, what you felt about God. Were you angry at God? Were you doubtful? What did you think about your relationship to the Lord during that time? Did you believe that God loved you? You know, write down some of your thoughts and some of your feelings. If it's over and has already passed, then you can answer this question. And that is, how did you change? How did you change? When you look back at the old you before that period of time, and now you, as you stand here today, how did you change? What is your relationship with the Lord like now as opposed to then? Did you surrender? Did you come to the point where you just gave up? And you said, Lord, if I die, I'll die trusting you. Because you know that you're the God of resurrection. And then I want you to do something very bizarre, okay? Now listen. I want you to get on your knees and thank God for that. That's going to be hard. Not thanking God for the pain and the suffering. That's not what I'm talking about. Thanking God that he loved you enough, that he wanted to change you so much, that he would spend that amount of time and energy taking you through that. Things like that will happen periodically throughout your life. It really will. And each and every time, you'll be more ready, I guess, to turn to the Lord and surrender because you've seen what he's done before. And whatever you're going to go through in the future, whatever you're going through now, I want to encourage you to trust him through it and not accuse him of not loving you because he does. And to realize that right in the middle of the pain and the suffering that you're going through, the grace of God is still shining through in that, okay? Because God never left you. And what God is doing in your life is a good thing if you surrender. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are overwhelmed with the reality that you love us. You know, Lord, we can always point to the good things. We can always look at the blessings and say, oh, I know God loves me because he's done this or that. But, Father, when things start falling apart and we have no answer and we lose control, we are prone to accuse you of injustice, to accuse you of being unfair, to accuse you of not caring about us. Father, forgive us for that. And, Lord, I pray for each one of us that when that day comes, if it hasn't already, when we have to face those trials and those ordeals in life, the pain and the suffering, 
that, Father, we will remember that you're a God of grace even during those times and that we will surrender to you. Let you work your plan in our lives and trust you, Father, that no matter what the outcome, even if it means death, we'll go to the grave trusting you because you are a God of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.